Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. We're entering now the fifth week. It's hard to believe. The fifth week of lockdown. But I want you to remember, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, my friends, I know it's getting more and more difficult. I know tempers are getting more frayed. Pressure is growing. It's hot season. I'm, it is hot. I understand. But this will pass and it will be well. God is with you. So just lift up your heart and lift up your soul. Sometimes we have to do like David said, I lifted my soul to the Lord. Sometimes we have bad attitudes and that's in our soul. Our soul is our attitudes, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires. Sometimes we got stuff in there that doesn't belong there, do you know? And sometimes we just have to lift it to God. Sometimes we just lift our bad attitudes to God. Sometimes we just lift our negativity to God. Sometimes we just lift our evil desires to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to change until you change me. Father, we lift our souls to you today. Father, in every heart, in every heart of all of our people, we lift our souls to you today. We want our souls filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. We don't want this mogulo filling our souls. But Lord, unless you change us, unless you fix our hearts, we can't be fixed. This isn't mind over matter. This isn't positive thinking. This is your work. We bring you our souls today, Lord, and we say fill them with joy and fill them with t peace. Touch us by the power of the Holy Ghost so that we overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for every one of our people today, Lord, lift their heads. You are called the God who lifts our heads. Lift the head of every member, Lord. Those that are facing financial challenges right now, those that are so tired they couldn't sleep last night, they're worried about feeding the family, lift their heads right now, Lord, and show them that you're going to make a way where there is no way, that you are the God who provides. Oh, I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get started today. Psalms chapter 91. Psalms chapter 91, beginning with verse 1. This is our psalm during this whole passage. I, I told you the other day that whenever I face big spiritual battles in my life, for some reason in his mercy, God always takes a passage of scripture and just puts it there. And I hang on to that during the whole battle. This is our battle cry during this whole season. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. 
because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall befall you, shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. They will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Do you love him? Do you hold fast to God in love? Then he said he will deliver you. I will protect him because he knows my name. That's why we spent the first two weeks just talking about the character and the nature of God. When he calls to me, I will answer him. It's his promise. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Faithful is he who has promised. Now let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Jesus, you have our hearts, you have our lives. You have our wills, you have our desires. Lord, it's all surrendered to you. Everything is yours. Lord, it's all yours. To come here and here at your altar, just fellowship with you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we want this every day of our lives. This fellowship with you. Oh, yeah. 
I'm going to do morning devotions just a little differently today because there are some things I want us to talk about as a family today. The first one I want to talk about is hearts and attitudes. I've I don't normally spend a lot of time on Facebook. I will admit between WhatsApp and Instant Messenger and 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 all the different information flows that come to me, Facebook is not one I pay a great deal of attention to. Please forgive me. And I'm not even sure I had an Instagram account until this whole thing began. But as I looked over Facebook the last week, I'm noticing a a rising temperature in people's attitudes. I'm noticing a increase in what we would euphemistically call high blood. Now, part of this is the duration of how long this is lasting, the stress and the pressure of now beginning the fifth week. And part of it, to be honest, is hot season. I mean, you know, please forgive me. We always forget how hot it is. And people don't sleep as well during hot season. It's hot at night. You toss and turn more. And it's hotter during the day and you're just uncomfortable and you can't get cooled off and you can't go to the mall and you're locked in your house and you can't get enough fresh air. So part of it is the environmental situation and the stress that we are all under right now. But I, I'm noticing an increase in high blood. So I, I talked to the leaders yesterday, and I want you to hear it directly from me also, because I've asked all the leaders as they talk to the families to, and all the pastors, because they call you every three days, you're going to notice a recurring theme. So you might as well hear it from me so you don't get mad at anybody else. When it comes to our attitudes, whether it's in the family, whether it's with government officials or whatever, we need to pull together and not pull apart. Now, please, I am sure, please, I'm not naive. I am sure that there are corrupt barangay officials. I'm sure there are corrupt mayors. I'm, sh I'm sure, okay, please. I'm sure there are negligent and incompetent government officials. I I'm sure, because people are human, okay? But we're, we're not here to discuss competence and corruption and things right now. We're, we're here to talk about, as a nation, we have a crisis that could put us into a huge financial depression that, that could change our nation forever if we don't pull together and pull together in the right direction. Now, I know that you have the right to vent on Facebook, and I know that you have the right to vent on Instagram, and I know that you have the right to post whatever you want to post. This is a free nation, and please, I understand that. But if we love our country, my question is not do we have the right. My question is, is this the right time? Brothers and sisters, Romans 13 says that part of my job is to teach you to be submissive to governing authorities. And when Paul wrote that, he was dealing with one of the most corrupt, brutal governments that ruled the world forever, the Roman Empire. I mean, the, cru the cruelty, the brutality, the corruption, the decadence of the Roman government was unparalleled even to this day. And Paul taught people to be submissive to governing authorities. So please forgive me, um, we still teach the same thing today. And submission is not an action, it's an attitude. And obedience is an action, submission, submission is an attitude from which obedience should flow. Now, I, I just want to ask you a little bit, can you please, let's start with the family. Keep the voice down. I know you're pressured, I know it's hot, I know you're stressed, but barking and yelling 
isn't going to help anybody. It's not going to accomplish anything. Let's let's keep things calm down at home and be happy. You know, happiness is a choice. Walking around living angry, forgive me. Have you ever walked around angry all day one day? It doesn't make the day go any faster. In fact, if anything, it makes the day slow down into slow motion. So your, your bad attitude isn't going to help anybody, and it's definitely not going to help you. So just make a decision. You know what? There's nothing being upset is going to change. So I'm just going to be happy. I'm going to make a choice to be happy. Do you remember that silly song back from the 1980s? Don't worry. Be happy. You know, sometimes you just have to make a choice to rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made rejoice. Now, that's in our home. Now, when it comes to the government, do I know that some people have been treated unfairly? I'm sure. Do I know that people have been neglected? I'm sure. I mean, please. There's 100 plus million people in our country. I'm sure even the apostles, when they tried to give out food, in Acts 6, people felt neglected. And that's the apostles of God. And people felt neglected. Okay, I mean, please. Now, what I would ask is that for right now, we take our political opinions and our political frustrations and we just put them in a drawer and keep them there for a while. When the next elections come around for barangay captains or mayors or whatever, you can vote them out. But right now, Let's pull together. Let, let's just pull together in Jesus' name. All right, let's just, let's just pull together as families, as a church, as a nation. Let's pull together. Let's see what we can do to help. Your anger, your frustration, please. I know you're venting on Facebook, but does it do any good to stir other people up? You're mad, so you're going to stir the pot. You're going to stir everybody up with your Facebook post also. Does it help anything in this situation? Now, I know some of you are getting angry just listening to me this morning, and you know what? That's all right. But with all my heart, I beg of you, if we love God, if we love our nation, if we love our families, let's pull together and get through this thing in Jesus' name. Sort out the politics later, all right? Sort out the voting later, all right? Please. Great. Right now, we are in a crisis. Right now, our nation stands on the edge. We stand on the brink. You do understand that. Economically, we stand on the brink. All the progress we have seen made over 40 years, all the progress, all the jobs, the factories, we can either launch into a whole new renaissance with factories returning to the Philippines and, and jobs galore, or we can, when this reset button is hitting, when this reset button is hit, people again make fun of us as the poor man of Asia again. No, I want us to be to the top in Jesus' name. Please, let's pull together with our government. Let's pull together with our families. Let's pull together with the church. We will get through this thing. This will pass. Now, the second thing I want to talk to you about this morning is testimonies. Now, again, I know most of you, these testimonies look irrelevant to you because God has been good to you, okay? You've got your degrees, your professionals, you've got money in the bank. Everything is great. 
but my heart, forgive me, we all used to be so poor. So please forgive me if my heart is concerned about the people that are where we used to be not that long ago, just trying to survive like chickens, you know, scratching for a living. Now, testimonies are important because it gives people ideas. I shared one testimony a few weeks ago about a sister who was making fresh lumpia and selling it for 40 pesos. I think there's 12 to 15 families now selling lumpia. And the thing that they were trying to figure out was, how do I price it? What, what will be the price that I can sell and still make money at? Now, whether it's lumpia or tinola or, or minuto and rice or cupcakes or whatever, I want you to send me videos of what your family is doing. Now, maybe, you know, you look upon your testimony and say, Pastor, it's so small. Our family is only learning, th- earning 350, 500 pesos a day, 700 pesos a day with our sales. You're putting food on the table. God is blessing the work of your hands. You're putting food on the table. And it's those little testimonies that will inspire others. Because, forgive me, God doesn't bless the sitting of our butt. God blesses the work of our hands. Let me say that again. God does not bless the sitting of our butt. God blesses the work of our hands. And sometimes people just need an idea. I can do that. I mean, how many times have you watched something and you go, I can do that? Well, there are people who right now, I can do that. There's one family selling fresh hot pandasol now. They had an old oven that nobody had used since Lola died. <laughs> and all of a sudden now, they're making pandasol. Now, the first couple of batches didn't work out very well, but now their batches are turning out very well, and they're making hot pandasol and selling it on the street for people to have with their coffee for breakfast and, and merienda. And, and, you know, they're feeding the family. So would you please, we're going to start right now, and we'll be doing at least one in the morning, one in the evening. And if I can do two or three in the morning, two or three in the evening, I would love that. But any, and please, I'm not looking for, God just gave me a 5 million peso deal. I'm looking for the little testimonies that will help the poorest of the poor. Are people that are just trying to put food on the table for their kids. So if you have a testimony like that, just sit down with your camera or sit down with your phone. It doesn't have to be a fancy video. Just sit down with your phone, make a little video, tell us your story. We'll edit it together and then send it to your district pastor, and the district pastors will get it to me and Sister Bev. We'll go through these things. We'll get Brother Jong to do some editing work for you so that you look really good, and we'll get it out so that you can pass on your testimony and inspire others. Now let's have a testimony right now. Hi, COP family. I'm Brother Jason Sunshon, a Connect Group leader and an usher from North Campus. And I would like to share a wonderful testimony about God's faithfulness in our lives, even during this uh, difficult and challenging COVID-19. When the enhanced community quarantine was announced, I said to the Lord, there are things that I don't understand, but I know in my heart and in my mind that you are in control because you are our refuge, our fortress, our God in whom we trust. And another one, I ask of the Lord on how will I take care of my clients. I cannot travel around, but I will be more than willing to be with them online. Then unexpectedly, one of the universities I'm working with called up and asked for an authorization letter for the person who will pick up my check and deposit it for me because I cannot travel. And then they informed me also that they will be paying 
several months in advance. And I said, wow, this is amazingly on time. I praise God and I thank God for the blessing. And who would have known that in the season of scarcity, I would be paying off that. I paid a long-standing debt to a sibling and another one to a friend. And we were able to extend also a help to a needing relative of my wife in the province. Truly, God is in control and we don't have to worry because our seeds are on the ground growing exceedingly, transforming this time of hardships into a season of bountiful harvests. Now, please send in those testimonies. It does not have to be fancy and professional. Just do it on your cell phone. Send it to me. Send it to Sister Bev. Send it to your district pastor. Send it to your campus pastor. Just get it to one of us, and then we'll get it to Brother Jong, and we'll get these videos played. All right. I'm going to take a little bit of time in the New Testament today. We may not get to the Old Testament passage because there's a couple of things here that are very important to us in light of what's going on around the world today. The first is... We just finished Easter Sunday. Now, I know it doesn't feel like Holy Week, but um, <laughs> Holy Week has come and Holy Week is gone. But look at this passage with me. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, why up? Because it's up the mountain, okay? It's, it's a hard walk. We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, think of all the prophecies written about Jesus. Think of Isaiah 53. Jesus said everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets, and Moses was also a prophet, will be accomplished. He said, listen, everything that was written about me is going to be done. And now he begins to define some of that. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, which is what was prophesied. And he will be mocked and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now, there's a few things I want you to see about this. First of all, I want you to notice this is the third time Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. He never told them about the death without the resurrection. He always gave them hope. Now, whenever you have to give people bad news, always give them hope on the end. It's a leadership principle that you just need to get a hold of. Never just give people bad news. Well, what do you want? The good news or the bad news first? You know, ne Never just sit down and give people bad news and then give them the good news first. Always end with hope. Always end with hope. When you have to talk to people about things that are going to be negative, problems ahead, end with hope. Okay, we are people of hope. So Jesus always let them know he's going to rise again. But then, you know, I'm struck with the fact that in spite of all these times he told them that he would rise again, they didn't look for it. They weren't anticipating it. Now, you would think if he told them, I'm going to rise again on the third day, you would think that they would all be out there at the tomb on the morning of the third day waiting for his promise to come true. I mean, you would think that the whole area outside the tomb would be full of Jesus' disciples. Now, forgive me, but in this case, the enemies of Jesus believed Jesus more than the disciples did. 
The Sanhedrin, the chief priest, said he said he's going to rise again. We need to make sure that this doesn't happen. We need to make sure that his disciples don't come and carry his body away. They believed this prophecy more than the disciples did. They took action. They put security guards there. You would think the 12 apostles, or 11 of them now, Judas has run off, you, you would think that they would be there. You would think that all of the people who followed Jesus, the 80 plus that were the, so to speak, inner court of the disciples, you would think that these people would be following Jesus. They would be there at the tomb, but they weren't. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is stated here, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Sometimes you hear things, but you don't hear it. It's like it goes in one ear and out the other. It's like the truth of something is hidden from you. Another reason that they didn't is because of grief. You and I cannot comprehend what it did to the apostles to watch the flogging of Jesus, to see Jesus walk down the Via Dolorosa with the skin ripped off of his back, to see his suffering. You and I cannot comprehend what it must have been like for the apostles and the women around him to watch him nail to a cross. You, you, you and I can't comprehend the, the tears, the grief, the crying, the pain of their hearts as they saw this one that they loved so cruelly crucified and die. One of the things I've learned in life is that grief affects your memory. Let me say that one more time. Grief affects your memory. You, you don't remember promises. You don't remember good things. Your soul is completely consumed with grief. So I, I do not in any way criticize the apostles. All of us who have gone through grief at some point in our life, we, we know that we weren't thinking very well. We know that we weren't thinking straight. So it, it's something that you, you want to remember when People come into a situation where a loved one dies, where a husband dies, a wife dies, a child dies. One of the things I try to do in the funeral is point them to the positive and remind them of the good stories. Remind them of positive things because grief, grief is just like a black cloud that comes across the soul and you can't think nice things when your heart is full of grief. All you do is cry. So please, I don't criticize them, but let's try to understand and learn. Now he continues there in verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, Jericho is right at the base of the hill going up the road to Jerusalem. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now why would he be begging there? Because this is the main route going up the mountain to Jerusalem. It still is today. Sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. Now he's blind. He can't see what's going on. He just hears a lot of noise. He doesn't normally hear a lot of noise, all right? He, he normally hears a few camels going by, a few people talking as they go by. When he hears things, he calls out and begs. But now here's a huge crowd coming. So he inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, he's been hearing the stories of Jesus <laughs> for three years, all right? He's been hearing the stories of people walk by and talk about the one who heals the sick who opens the blind eyes, who cleanses the lepers, who walks on water. I mean, they've been hearing the stories. He's been hearing the stories. So they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So now the guy cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. <laughs> I like this guy, though. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he's not talking to the disciples. He, he's not talking to the crowd. He's heard enough about Jesus that he knows he can call out to Jesus. Now, folks, it is so, this is why testimonies are so important. When people begin to hear that they can directly ask Jesus, they cry out to Jesus. So he wasn't asking the disciples for permission to cry out. He wasn't asking, you know, the crowd for permission. He knew enough about Jesus from all that he heard, all the news that had gone out, all the gossip that had gone out about Jesus. He knew enough to know he could call on Jesus personally. Now, what a truth that is, my friends. What a truth that is. That's something that every person needs to get a hold of, that they can call out to Jesus personally. But now I want you to notice what the guy asked for. He said, have mercy on me. And the second time again, he cried out, have mercy on me. Now, forgive me, I told you we were going to get parked on this for a while this morning, because forgive me, with all that we're going through right now, this is something that we need to park on for just a little bit. And I've, I've left it until now, because as I was looking over the weeks and planning things, I left this out of some of the early sermons, but I want to deal with it now. Mercy. The cry for mercy. Let me just give you a couple of quick thoughts real, real fast. Romans chapter 9, verse 16. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Healing, like everything else that's provided for in the salvation package, the redemption package, healing does not depend on man's effort. When people say, give what you would have paid the doctor and then God will heal you, don't you ever do that. Healing is not for sale. Healing was provided by Jesus on the cross. I, I hate this new style of healing evangelist that says, whatever you would have spent on the hospital, you, you give to me. No, uh, healing, it doesn't depend on man's efforts. It doesn't depend on how long you pray. Forgive me, it doesn't depend on how long you fast. Healing does not depend on your efforts, nor does it depend on your desire. Well, how badly do you want to be healed? <laughs> Everybody wants to be healed. But you know, there are some people, they really don't care. There are lifetime diseases that they've just learned to live with and eh, be nice, but it's not important to them, and they still get healed. You see, it doesn't depend on man's efforts, and it doesn't depend on man's desire. Everything in the redemption package depends on mercy. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. My friend, if you need food for your family today, that's part of the redemption package, provision for your family. It doesn't depend on man's efforts. Sometimes you just come to God and say, God, I've done everything I know to do. I don't know anything else to do. I need mercy. And provision flows. All right, so get that verse in your heart. Now, another verse, Psalms 28, verse 6. Praise be the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Psalms 31, verse 22, in my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yes, you heard my cry for mercy. Psalms 116, verse 1, I love the Lord, for he has heard my voice. He has heard my cry for mercy. Mercy, you often hear me say, is the one prayer that is 
always heard. You can, you can guarantee that the cry for mercy is heard. Now, some of you, you're praying for your loved ones that are frontliners. They're working in the hospital, your sons, your daughters. And you worked so hard. And you put them through medical school. And you put them through nursing school. And you put them through education to get their med techs. And as a family, you work so hard to get them there. And now, maybe you wouldn't say it to them, but you're, you're thinking like a parent, oh, why did I have to make them a doctor? Who knew this was coming? Oh, I'm so concerned about my baby. Right now, just sit there in your home. Father, have mercy upon my son. Have mercy upon my daughter. Have mercy upon my uncle. Oh, Father, I ask for mercy upon their lives. And you just begin to pray for them. Some of you, you watch your son, you watch your daughter go out to make deliveries and buy food for the family. And you're so concerned that they don't get something, they don't get this COVID-19 at the grocery store. Just lift your hands before the Lord right now. Oh, Father, have mercy on my oppose as they go to pure gold. Have mercy upon my son. Have mercy upon my daughter as they go to get food for the family. As they go, Lord, have mercy. Father, I cry out for mercy. This is a prayer that God hears. Now, some of you, you're going, I feel so helpless, Pastor. I'm, I'm sitting at home. It not, does not depend on your efforts. It depends on his mercy. And that is the one prayer he always hears. It's the cry for mercy. Now, I, I will never forget many years ago, I preached on mercy in a church, and he was a friend. And afterwards, he got after me and kind of rebuked me. He said, you know, I was always taught the only people who need mercy are the people who don't have faith. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> mercy is one of the greatest cries of a heart of faith. Faith knows the character of God. Faith knows the mercy of God. And if I had time today, I'd get into all the people that cried out for mercy, and then Jesus said, your faith has healed you. So they had faith. They had faith enough to cry out for mercy. So my friends, please, it does not depend on man's desire. We sing the song all the time. It does not depend on man's desire. It does not depend on our efforts. It depends on his mercy. What a thing to depend upon. I mean, please. Now, if you depend upon a person's mercy, that might be difficult. But what a foundation to depend upon. What am I counting on? The mercy of God. Well, his mercy is new every morning. <laughs> oh, what a thing, my friends, to depend upon. I'm depending on the mercy of God. What are you trusting in? The mercy of God. How can you possibly do that? because his mercy is new every morning. Are you beginning to get a hold of this a little bit? Forgive me, I know I'm not just doing devotions this morning. I'm, eh, I'm kind of preach devoting, okay? <laughs> preach devotional. But this is, this is so important that you get into you, this cry for mercy. All right, let's go a little farther. And those in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Now notice, the cry for mercy stopped God. 
<laughs> Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill his destiny, and he stopped. What stopped God? A man who cried for mercy. What stopped God? A man who cried for mercy. Oh, it's beautiful. He stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. He said, oh, everybody, leave him alone. Bring him to me. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine the God of the universe looking at you saying, what do you want me to do for you? You ask me for mercy. You're dependent on mercy. You've got my attention. The God who with all things are possible looks at you and says, what would you like me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Amazing. Now, when God ever looks at you and you make a request before God, never ask for a Band-Aid. Ask for a solution. Never ask about a symptom. Ask for a permanent solution. He didn't say, Lord, can I have a house and a lot so I don't have to live here on the street anymore? Lord, can I have a bunch of money so I don't have to beg anymore? He didn't deal with the symptoms. He dealt with the cause. He said, Lord, I don't need you to give me money. I don't need a house. But if you give me my sight, I can have a normal life. I can work with my hands. I can feed my family. Lord, I'm asking that you deal with the root of the problem, not the symptoms, the root of the problem. Now, here is a great key in prayer. Sometimes because the symptoms are so in our face and the symptoms are so painful, we pray about the symptoms rather than praying about the root, about the cause. I sat down with an old Chinese doctor many, 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 many years ago. Sister Bev was dying, and she, they sent her home from the heart center because we had no more money. We spent everything we had on the physicians, and they couldn't do anything. And now one of our, our members brought over a Chinese doctor from Benondo. And one of the things I learned is that the Chinese doctor did not treat symptoms. He dealt with causes. And I began to learn that Western medicine always deals with masking symptoms and Chinese ancient herbal medicine deals with root causes. And ever since then, I've had eyes to see. See, whenever you learn something, it gives you eyes to see. I began to see all through the Bible that that's how God thinks. God doesn't deal with symptoms. God doesn't deal with the headache. He deals with the tumor that caused the headache. God doesn't deal with just money, he deals with how can you have long-term provision? All right, so when you pray, ask yourself the question, is what I'm praying about just dealing with a symptom, but it's gonna keep coming because the cause is still there, or is my prayer something that deals with the root, the cause of my problem? What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, here's one of those four or five of these instances where a person cried for mercy, and Jesus said, your faith has made you well. So when people look at you and say, if you had faith, you would not ask for mercy. Uh, no, this man had faith. His faith, Jesus did not say, my faith healed you. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. This man had faith for a miracle. 
but he was asking for mercy. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, <laughs> glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, th this is beautiful. This is, this is just absolutely beautiful. As soon as the guy is healed, he jumps up, follows Jesus. He walks up that mountain to Jerusalem. He sees the first Holy Week events. All of these things this man was a part of. One day when we get to heaven and we see this blind beggar, he, he had first, he was eyewitness to the events of the first Holy Week because Jesus opened his eyes. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. All right, so he's passing through Jericho. This is the last city before the huge trek up to Jerusalem. And there's really not much to stop at on the way up to Jerusalem. It's every time we take that bus up that, that hill, and up that mountain, you know, we're coming from the lowest place on earth down there by the Dead Sea up to the top of the mountain of Jerusalem. So you're not just dealing with sea level up to the mountain, you're dealing from the lowest place on earth down there all the way up the mountain. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And notice he was going to pass through. He wasn't going to stop. He was on his way to Jerusalem. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Well, let me just stop there. Notice he stops. He's interrupted. He has dinner with this guy. So notice Jesus had enough time in his schedule that he could still stay on schedule and take advantage of an opportunity for ministry. Ah, remember how I always teach you to put interruption time in your calendar, interruption time in your schedule? Well, here's one of Jesus' interruptions. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, that's very descriptive. He's a Jew. He's a tax collector, which means he's a Roman collaborator, which means he's one of the most hated people in the country. And on top of being a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. He's the boss of tax collectors, maybe for that whole region around there. So th this is a man who's um, not just hated, he's especially hated. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, so he's no doubt very corrupt and been corrupt for a long time. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, now here's a cool thought. Here's a guy who really wanted to see Jesus. He's corrupt, he's hated, but he's heard all about Jesus, and he wanted to see. Now, sometimes some of the nastiest people in society, they've heard about how wonderful Jesus is, and they just want to see. <laughs> and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. We always sing about it in kids' church. So he ran out ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And notice, here's a man who wanted to see Jesus so badly, he gave up his dignity. This is a rich man. Rich people don't climb trees. Rich, powerful people don't climb trees. They have the goon squad push people out of the way. But he didn't do that. But he really wanted to see Jesus. So he humbled himself. He's showing his heart. He wanted to see Jesus. He didn't want to you know, make a big scene about it and push other people out of the way. So he climbed a tree. For he was about to pass that way. 
And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And notice he was going to pass through Jerusalem or pass through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, but now he's going to stay at Zacchaeus' house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now, Zacchaeus is not going to be noticed. He's up in the tree. He's not trying to be a somebody. He's not trying to, he's not trying to get influence. Remember how the Pharisees all wanted to have dinner with Jesus because they wanted to draw off of Jesus' influence and popularity? This is not a guy trying to do that. This is a guy who's up in a tree. And Jesus says, I, I need to come to your house today. And he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Wow. They all grumbled. Now, all means all. Probably the apostles were part of the grumbling. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Everybody hates this guy. This is not just a Jew. This is a Jewish collaborator and a leader of Jewish collaborators who is a sinner. Now, as soon as Zacchaeus hears this, he hears what people are saying. He's not stupid. He stands up and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How beautiful. Now let's take that apart piece by piece. As soon as this guy begins to hear that Jesus is being criticized because of his lifestyle, he stands up and makes sure that he protects the name of Jesus. He says, Jesus, right now, half of everything I own, I give it to the poor. Right now, anything that I have defrauded anybody of, I will pay it back fourfold. Now, at that point, everybody's going, whoa! I mean, whoa! Did you hear this? Everybody is seen not a sinner. They're seeing a changed life. And Jesus kind of looks around at everybody and goes, oh, today salvation has come to this house. <laughs> you just saw a changed life. Now, my friends, let me just park right there for a minute. When very influential, influential sinful people come to the Lord. There is not a continuation of their lifestyle. They're not seeking whether, they're not as popular in the secular world anymore, so let's cross over to the Christian world and get a little bit more mileage out of my career. They're not like that. When a truly sinful person has been touched by the presence of Jesus and changed, they really care about what people say about Jesus because of them. They don't want their life to bring any discredit on Jesus. They're not continuing to hang out in the clubs and get drink and throw back shooters and get drunk. And they're, they're, not that, they're not like that. They're not running around sleeping with whoever now and taking pictures of, you know. They're not like that. This man, as soon as he began to hear Jesus criticized because of him, he stands up and makes declarations to make sure everybody knows, I'm a different man now. You can see the difference in my life. So he cared about what people said about Jesus. So I made a little note in my Bible. When, when, famous, when famous influential people get really saved, they make drastic changes for the sake 
of the name, for the sake of the name. So I would say it on this side, these people who want to be big influencers and they're big influencers in the world and their influence is waning and now they want to get a little Christian mileage out of it. These are not people who play with Christianity. These are people who become radical Christians. I mean, they just look out. Here they come. They're going to make sure that the name of Jesus is never criticized because of them. But on the other side of that story, Jesus said salvation has come to this house for or because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This isn't about polishing up a religious person's life. This is about seek and save the lost. Let me say that again. Jesus did not say, I have come to polish up a few little minor blemishes on righteous people's lives. He said, no, no. I came to seek and I came to save the lost. So some of us as Christians, please forgive me, when we see these very powerful, influential, wealthy, despicable sinners get really born again, you know what? We need to park our attitudes. Because when we see them stand up radically changed, making sure that the name of Jesus is not criticized because of them, we need to open up our hearts and realize it doesn't matter how much dirt is on somebody's life. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus died for those people. Jesus came to look and to save those people. Now, Christianity has degenerated into a, a polishing up people's lives. And, you know, let's, let's just invite a few people to come in and let's build an event and invite people. Well, what Christianity is supposed to be all about is the Great Commission. Let's go, let's seek, and let's save. Let's go, seek, and save. When this quarantine is lifted, we're going to be doing more truck crusades than ever before, at least three a month here across the city. We're going to be doing more provincial crusades than ever before, at least two a month. Now, we've shut down all the events in the church. We're going to do routine church just to make a routine life for the members as everybody gets their life back together. But we are going to go and preach the gospel. We're going to seek and save the lost in Jesus' name. Now, tonight, we're going to begin alternating some truth. Part of the services this week, and for a while now, maybe for the next week and a half or so, I'm going to be teaching on endurance and patience. Faith and patience receives the promise. And part of the nights I'm going to be teaching you on, this is not the digital church age. The digital church, <laughs> the digital church is no more church than a Facebook friend is a real friend. But we'll get into that tonight. See you at 7 o'clock.